Wow, that was awesome. We could just say amen, amen. and get it going. All right. Wow, it is so good to be here. And uh, what a privilege it is for, for me to have the privilege to talk about discipleship. Um, I tell you, I wouldn't be here without discipleship. Uh, I'm one of those saints that got saved and discipled. I'm going to step. I'm going to step back a bit. Is that going to help me? <clears throat> Tom drum. All right. I got saved as a 16-year-old young man, and before I even knew about discipleship, I was in discipleship. The man who led me to Christ said, "Hey, come over to the house." I'm going to just share some things with you. And we started right there. And uh, beloved, I tell you, if it wasn't for the, the investment of the Word of God in my life, I would have never stepped foot into a local New Testament yeah. church. And so I'm so thankful to the Lord. And it's a great privilege to be here. So, uh, Pastor Joe, thanks for inviting me. And uh, I hope you know what you're doing. But uh, <clears throat> I trust the Lord that you do. And so I'm thankful to all of us that are here, thankful to the Lord. Uh, for what he's doing in our midst with the Living Faith Fellowship and his mission of making disciples. So in the next few weeks, or next few weeks, in the next few days, we said rolling out things for weeks, <clears throat> next few, da- few days, <clears throat> we, I have the goal, right? This is the goal. We're going li- to talk about being established in worship, right? Being the focus of our life in regards to discipleship. And we're going to also see uh, that we need to be established in the Word of God, which is the authority of our life. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And then we'll talk about being established in the local church, which is the context of our life. And then lastly, Wednesday night, we'll get together and we'll talk about being established in the ministry, which is the purpose of our life. So this serves as a great framework for us uh, as we're getting grounded in the Word of God. We're taking young Christians, getting them established in the Word of God. And so uh, most of us, I think, maybe are familiar with the 16 lessons of discipleship. And the things that we're covering are, in essence, the four, what we call the four goals of discipleship. And really what we're talking about is establishing, starting, getting people grounded and settled in the truth of God's Word. Discipleship is a process that takes place in our life, and it is, it is something that will absolutely transform us. And we start with just these fundamental truths. And, and they are simple because that's the way God designed it. We're simple folk. If you're like me you got to start pretty simple. And so this isn't something meant to be hard. It's not something meant to be uh, difficult. But yet living out the truth of God's word meets challenges each step of the way. And so we got to do it with faith. we got to do it with uh, a pure heart. we got to do it with a mind that is ready, right, to receive and hear God's word. And so tonight's assignment, my assignment is to uh, press upon your heart the need to establish disciples in worship. And worship is common to all humans, right? Even lost people worship. They worship their, their self, right? They fill their life up with things so that they can, they can be satisfied. Romans 1 teaches us that, right? If they're not worshiping the Creator, well, they're going to find creation, and they're going to worship that. And so worship is built in to us in the human framework. But the first mention of the word worship is in, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, when Abraham, a type of God the Father, takes his son Isaac, of course, up to the mount. We'll talk about this further in just a minute. And he offers, offers him as a blood atonement, our sacrifice for sin. The last mention in the Old Testament is in Zechariah 14, 17. And it says, And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. 
And so there's coming a day in the millennium where worship is going to be a worldwide endeavor. And we live in a time right now, it's an incredible opportunity that we have to willingly offer our worship and praise to the Lord. And not surprisingly, in the New Testament, it opens, right, the story of our own Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, opens with wise men coming to worship the King, right? The young child, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what wise men do today? We worship. If you're a wise man, if you're a wise woman, you're going to be worshiping. It's going to be a priority in our life. And man, you guys are getting your worship on in here tonight. I mean, it's good stuff. And so that's the occupation of a wise man. So the New Testament closes all things down. And it closes us in Revelation and it completes the admonition from the angel to the Apostle John. He says, don't worship me, right? Put the focus. Put the focus on him. Worship God. Worship is the, in the scripture is focused on one person. That person is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the act of worship is to bow before Lie pros, uh, you got to be careful with this word, prostrate. I'm always getting tripped up on that one now, you know, got to be careful. I'm sorry, I, I'm from the Midwest, so we're real laid back. To, to fall before God in honor, right, praise, adoration. In the New Testament, there's no other word used for worship other than worship. And so it implies, it implies kissing the ring of the king. The ring of the only potentate, king of kings, and lord of lords. That's why Zechariah ends with that passage about the whole world worshiping God. And so worship is what we've been saved to do. It's the fruit of the offering uh, that we have in time and eternity. And so... And so we, so we don't lose track of where we're going here. Worship is also part of the cataclysmic conflict between God and the devil. Right? We know that something happened between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. I won't get into all that tonight. I don't want to start a war. But, but basically, we know much later in, in the Bible, we find out what happened. What happened? What caused the problem in heaven? Well, we know that there was someone who wanted to rob God of his worship. That anointed cherub, Lucifer, says, I want the worship. I want the worship. And it didn't work out well. And so worship affects our relationships. Right? A third of the angels fell. And it affected the unity in heaven. Now, what is our job? Our job is to get the word right and the, the word where it needs to go on time, because we have, we have the, the ministry of reconciliation. What, the, 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 what we see in humanity, the, the sin-wrecked world that we're in, is really a result of worship problems. And how did it get corrected? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilling that picture in Genesis 22.5, well, He becomes that sacrificial lamb, and He shows us, He demonstrates for us what worship is. It's an incredible thing that our Lord has done. Because there was a schism over worship. So worship is not, nor has it ever been, about felt needs or emotional response to a song, though we should get emotional and have responses to songs. And it's not just about prayer alone or ministry activity. Those are all great things. But worship is about God being glorified and exalted in His 
rightful, rightful place. So there is a war for worship, and it's been won in eternity past at the casting out of Satan. It has been won at the cross of Calvary and the subsequent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in eternity, at the casting away of death and hell in the lake and fire, it will be punctuated. And so we live in this world, and, and we are here to make disciples because part of discipleship is, is getting a hold of the tools to win the war of worship. I mean, we're actively engaged in this thing right now. So for the child of God, worship is a principal part of who we are. And it is the essence of why we do all that we do. Our adoration and psalm and hymn and praise and prayer and service, all of that goes to God, all to His honor, all to His laud, all to His praise, to His great name. So worship is not only something we live, something that we learn. It's something that we enter into. It's something that we experience. It's something we fail at doing. Uh, We struggle with this. And that's why we need the Lord. That's why we need each other. And most importantly, we need the Word of God to help remind us of who really is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And so this evening, in the time we have left, I want to just share with you our need to make worship the focus of our life. And if worship is not the focus of our life... Beloved, it's not going to be the focus of our disciples' life. They're not going to emulate something that they're not seeing. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 4. Familiar passage, familiar discussion, the woman at the well. But I want to bounce off of this, and we'll look at three things tonight. The first one is that worship is personal. Worship is personal. As you look in your Bible at John chapter 4, I'm just going to start, and we'll just look at the story once again. The text says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, Thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said, saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. Husband, and come hither. And the woman answered, Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, that when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. For God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have gathered us today to speak unto us. 
on this very important topic of worship. It's so important, Lord, that we do give you the laud, the honor, the praise, that we exalt you in your right place as we remember your humility, your example. Oh, Lord, I pray today that you would just take this time that we have left and touch our hearts. Lord, I pray, God, that we would consider our own active worship. And Lord, where are we at with you? Lord, if there be anything that we're hiding from you, Lord, today, I pray that we would come clean. Father, I pray that if we were holding back anything, that we would give up. Father, I pray that we would understand how personal this is and how powerful it is. And I pray, God, today that you would just work in our lives as only you can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. If you're a note taker, point number one, worship is personal. You know, God takes our sin personally, so we have to take worship personally. When you think about it, how did our sin get paid? Well, Jesus Christ demonstrated on the cross, what worship's all about, right? He did what the Father told him to do. He gave him all the honor, the praise. Even when he didn't want to go, he said, hey, not my will, but thine be done. And so he demonstrates that. Hey, we should take worship seriously, personally, because God takes it personally. The burden of man's sin is heavy upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Historically, when you read the Gospels, you know what he had to do to, to deal with our sin? He had to leave heaven, right? So he, we just sang about the Godhead up here tonight. I mean, we're singing about the Godhead, and we're having a glorious time. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to step out of the Godhead and become incarnate and deal with the sin of humanity. I mean, what an incredible act of humility. What a in grace, and we could just go on all night about that. And so why did he do that? Why? Well, he, he, he took upon himself, right, the burden of our sin. He came to die. He came to be our sacrifice for sin. Mary uh, was obviously, uh, he, gave, he gave birth to him and he grew up as every other human. He was all God, he was all man. And now he's come to this place where he's called his disciples out and he's, he's walking with them and he's talking with them. And, and now he's taking them into a difficult place in Samaria. You see, that's what worship will do. It'll take you places you, you normally wouldn't go. You know ministry is not convenient. No good Jew wanted to be in Samaria, right? No good Hebrew wanted to be hanging out in Samaria. Most of you guys probably know that. But he took them there. That's where he wanted them to go. And when he got there, he had a discussion, and the discussion was about worship. Who is the Messiah, and who should you be worshiping? And, of course, she wanted to talk about where to worship. He says, well, let's change the subject and talk about who. You know, nobody would have wanted to go there even to be in the area, let alone to meet with this particular woman to discuss the subject of worship. But once again, God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so it's important that, that we focus on these things and we understand that a wise disciple learns what these 12 disciples learned by hanging out with Jesus. You know how they, they learned to, about these things is they spent time with Jesus. They were with Jesus, and that's why they ended up in this place that they didn't even want to be in, learning a lesson that they really didn't particularly care to learn. Because one day, Jesus is going to ascend and he's going to leave them here, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to go right back to people they normally wouldn't want to reach. They're going to put themselves in uncomfortable places, and they're going to take the time and the effort. 
uh, to tell them what needs to be told. This is where we often meet with our disciples. If you want to be a discipling church, if you want to be a discipler, be prepared to meet people where they are. You can't meet them where you want them to be. You got to meet them where they are. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Man, I'm so glad the man, if the man that led me to Christ would have wanted me to get cleaned up before I got trained up, it had never happened. See, I had, to, I had to get saved, right? Yeah, I was sanctified positionally, but you didn't see it on the outside, right? If he wanted me to dress up before I showed up to church, it would have never happened. I showed up back in the day, this in the 80s, when you went to church, you dressed up. I show up in my blue jeans and my t-shirt. Man, I was 30 years ahead of time. I was like all over it. I'm like, boom, mic drop. That's right, bro. I was, cut, I was cutting edge, bleeding edge. But you know what? The people there were so gracious. They just met me where I was at. I bet Greg remembers when I came in the doors back in the old days. He was my old Discipleship 2 teacher. Not old, young Discipleship 2 teacher. <laughs> and you notice this, that Jesus passed over the Sanhedrin. He passes right over those guys and goes to these fishermen, these carpenters, these, these well, tax collectors, these zealots. Yeah. He just went right down there, met them where they were at, so he could take them where they need to go. You know why he did that? Because they would follow him. You notice worshipers follow Jesus. So discipleship is a great, also, it's obviously a great tool for evangelism. Right, we obviously use it to equip the saints. That's what we do. But after com- a compelling conversation about living water, the woman decides she's certainly ready to try the living water in verse 15. And it is then when, she is <clears throat> when, she, when Jesus exposes her, I'm sorry, in her sin and points out, that, you know, you've had five husbands, right? Number death. And the one that you have now is not your husband. Uh, what do you want to do with that? Did Jesus condemn her? No. You know why? We know what John 3.17 says. She's condemned already. He just was helping her get honest. Have you noticed that? I was, I was actually tonight. You guys were singing and praising. I know i got to preach. I'm like, oh God, I'm getting honest. <laughs> Lord, what am I doing here? Because <laughs> I don't want this to be my show. Don't, don't we want to meet here today with Jesus? That's what we're here to do. We're here to see God do something in our midst that absolutely, fundamentally changes what we're about. That when we leave here this week, we're going out and we're doing business with God and other people in a way that flat out changes the world. Turns things upside down. I, I, get, I get freaked out when I think about the potential in this room, in our churches. It's, it's awesome. So Jesus didn't mention her sin so he can condemn her. He mentioned it so he could save her. From the penalty of sin and death. And guess what? It worked. It worked. She perceives that he is a prophet, right? A man of God. And she, she hasn't quite got this Messiah thing down yet, but he's leading her where she needs to go. Verse 20, right? He, he's, he's getting her there. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, Jesus didn't compromise truth. 
He shoots her straight in verse 21. He says, hey, uh, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. And by the way, you worship, uh, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Let me just straighten you out here. Let me give you a dispensational lesson on where we are. All right, let me lay this out for you. And he shoots her straight. He gives her truth. Jesus knew the woman had been looking for love in all the wrong places. That wasn't even supposed to be funny. I mean, <laughs> see, her worship, it wasn't, it wasn't of God, was it? She'd been filling her life with something else. You know why some people come to church? They don't come really to worship. They come here to cover up. They really do. Now, we're not here to cover up. Jesus is dealing transparently with this woman. We we, we are righteous, right? We are to live a righteous, holy life. But we've got to be honest with God. And uh, this woman was in a situation where she couldn't hide anymore. This man knew her. I like what Sam Miles says. Read the word of God till the word of God reads you. I stole that, brother. It's true. So this woman, she'd been uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. Her worship was not of God, but of man. And it was a critical moment for her to realize that religion, right? She throws the religion out. Her location of worship wasn't the primary concern, but it was a person. It was a person. And it was, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he teaches her that in verses 21 through 24. So the authority on worship is Jesus Christ. If we don't believe upon him, our worship is in vain. That's in essence what he's teaching her in verses 21 through 22. And Jesus does point out that while the hour comes when we we need to access the Father to the Son, until that time, Jerusalem is the place established by Moses. And it was relevant to her at that time. So worship of the Father is available when we worship the Son. If you want access to the Father, you've got to go through the Son, verses 23 through 24. So God is not bound to a mountain or to things physical. He is spirit and he is truth. And they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. We know that. And this is, by the way, why it is important that we praise him with our lips, search in his word, and live out the truth. Verse 23 says, The hour cometh, and now is. Are we true worshipers? When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He's looking for us to worship tonight. So, worship God. We need to worship God because it delivers us from worshiping ourselves. Her acceptance of Jesus as Messiah brought deliverance from her own desires of the flesh. Verses 28 through 29, she forgets all about this uh, reason to come down and get the water. She's, it says in verse 28, The woman then left her water pot and went, uh, and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, she kind of had a rapport with them, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came unto him. You know, the woman leaves that pot and the reason she came to the well was to get water to satisfy her physical need. And you probably heard the sermons about nobody 
It was there. It was the heat of the day and all that. It's all true. But she left that pot. And she went out with the water of life. One of the first things we observe in new believers is their repentant attitude towards sin. The first two stages of our seven stages of spiritual growth are repentance and enlightenment. It's a changed life. When you meet Jesus, it changes your life. Now, I love the testimony we heard, right? Discipleship is mission critical. There are so many people that get saved, and then they just are left at the doorstep. They're like a baby, and no one ever feeds them. We've got to feed them. We've got to meet them where they're at. You know, babies make messes. They, they poo all over you, and they spit up on you, and all that stuff. Right? That's the discomfort we're talking about. You don't want to go there. But a discipler will go there. Because he's worshiping, she's worshiping Jesus. Okay, worship's not only personal, though, it is relational. So if you, if, if you, don't, if you doubt this, consider the, the antithesis, right? Lucifer's desire to become the center of worship impacted those one-third of the angels, those sons of God. So the disciples were watching what was going on and did not understand why Jesus would take them to this place at this time to speak to this woman who was kind of like this. Why would we talk to this? Jesus, do you know what you're doing over here? Well, I'm building a relationship. Watch and learn. So Jesus was giving the disciples a glimpse of what they would eventually be doing as they distributed his power through the gospel after the resurrection. Boy, they struggled with it, didn't they? You mean we got to go to those Gentiles? Are you kidding? Us? Yeah, you guys. At least this one was just a messed up Jew. After the resurrection, he's like, let's go all out. Let's go to the world. You really want to go after it. So all the religion that she could recite meant nothing once she was willing to receive Jesus as who he said he was. So she didn't bow before him as, as uh, many of the others that we see in the Gospels. But you know what she did? She dropped everything to share him with everyone that she knew. Man, that's pretty powerful. Worship is deeply personal and it impacts all of our other relationships. I could go off on a whole other sermon about marriage right now, but I'm not going to. But you're having some issues in your relationships, you need to go back to that one relationship. I'm telling you, it's going to fix all the other ones. This is why on the third lesson of discipleship, uh, one, of the, one of those lessons, both of those lessons, or both of, in that lesson, it deals with both the ordinances. That's what I'm trying to say. The first, a public picture of worship, right? When you get baptized, you're identifying with the death, the burial, the resurrection. The second, it's our relationship with one another, the Lord's Supper. We're a body. We're a unit. Both of those ordinances are impacted, right? It's, it's relational. It's, it's important how we relate to God and how God related to us, how personal that is, but also how horizontal it is among the body of Christ. It's all in there. And so, worship leads us to people who would not normally associate with, we'd not normally associate with, and places we would not normally go. Because worshiping the Father led Jesus to earth to die on the cross. Worshiping Jesus led the disciples on a journey to Samaria they would not normally take. Worshiping Jesus caused the woman at the well to give herself. at the woman at the well, to give herself and influencing the men in a way that she would not normally influence them. Yeah. 
And this woman had an incredible social network. So while worship is personal, it's meant to be shared. And this woman instinctively wanted to bring others to the water of life and share it with others. And so the woman at the well represents an incredible picture of the church. As, as our worship of Christ will cause us to call all to come drink of the water of life freely. How do we end this thing up? Well, Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And that's what we do, isn't it? Let's be honest here tonight. We are the woman at the well. God's absolutely transformed our being, our life. He's changed us. He's turned us into this incredible, beautiful bride of Christ. Oh man, we, we're going to worship Him for all of eternity. It's incredible to think about. Her religion had been changed into a relationship with Jesus and others. Okay, so, little recap. So because God took our sin personally, we should take our sin or worship personally. Because worshiping God delivers us from worship of self. Worship is relational. Worship leads us to people we would not normally associate with and places us and places, I'm sorry, that we would not normally go. So as we disciple, God leads us and our disciples into a deep personal relationship with Him that should be so personal that it overflows onto everyone around us. All right, so worship is personal, right? It's very personal. It's relational. But it's also directional. Now, if you turn back to Genesis 22 with me, we won't tarry here. I'm going to kind of fly over this. I think, again, most of you are probably familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac. But I want you just to kind of look at verse 5. Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22. The text says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come unto you, or come again to you. Now, what's important about this particular verse? You guys are educated in the Bible. First mention of? Worship, right? When you study the Bible, first mention is important. First mention of the word worship in your English Bible. And so this is what's going on here. God is taking you to a place of sacrifice. God's taking you to a place of sacrifice. First time you see the word worship, that's what's going on. Abraham said unto his young man, abide here, right? You stay here, me and the lad, we're going to go do some worship. He's taking us somewhere. God's taking you to a place of faith. In verses 7 through 8, let's look at the text with me. Uh, The text says, And and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Again, you know these stories, but we also know what Hebrews 11.9 says, that Abraham was believing God. That Believing him about what? The resurrection. Abraham was going somewhere with God. What? God was trying his faith, testing his faith. God is taking you and I to a place of faith. Discipleship is about faith. Seeing people's lives transformed. You, gotta, you better believe this book is true. You better believe it'll do a work in somebody's life. Why? Because God is taking you to a place of faith, and he's taking them in a place of faith. We've got to believe that God is the God of the resurrection. 
How are you going to see a resurrected life if you don't really have confidence in the resurrection? Jesus is the resurrection, by the way, and the life. And so God is also taking us to a place of obedience. You know the story. Verse 9, and they came to the place. All right, he builds the altar of wood. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called upon, or, uh, called upon him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham, you've been obedient. You've been obedient, son. God's taken us to a place of substitutionary atonement. That's a big word. How do you spell that? I don't know. I think it's on the screen. There it is. You need that. What's that about? You notice what's interesting? is Look at verse 13. God's taken us somewhere. Just as the Father and the Son walk in fellowship one with another, we too need to walk in fellowship with the Father. In 1 John 1, 3, you know the verse, uh, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. It's about fellowship with the Father, walking together. And we get, the, we get in on that. Just as Isaac was willing to trust the Father and lay down his life, so we should lay our lives down in an attitude of humility and worship to our great God and Father in heaven. That's what we do, isn't it? Or do we? First John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought, we ought, let's prove this out. How does this look in real life? We ought to lay down our lives for who? The brother. brethren. What's it look like to worship? Well, you can't really, we're not going to substitutionary atone for anything. But what we can do is lay our lives down for a bro or sister. We can do that. And guess what you're doing? You're worshiping. You're worshiping. And some of you tonight, God's taking you there. Because you really know you don't want to take time out of your schedule. You don't want to inconvenience yourself. You do want to come to church and hide and worship on that mountain. But you don't really want to come out and get honest with God and say, you know what, God, I'm really loving myself a lot. And I just need to die. And I need to give my life over and go the direction that you're taking me to go, which is to invest my life in other people, which is inconvenient. But because you resurrected me, because of you and your worship and how it has overflowed in my life and it has filled my cup up, I have to tell others. And not just tell them the gospel and what happens so they get saved and I put another notch on my belt. But once that baby's born, I'm going to sit him down in my kitchen and I'm going to talk to him about the wonderful, precious word of God. Oh, God, I believe you for a resurrection. I believe you're going to change their life. I believe they're going to grow in Christ. Why? Because he's the resurrection and he's the life. And if we don't have life, who else is going to get it? Nobody's going to want to buy into a program. Forgive me, I know we kept saying program. Discipleship, man, it is a supernatural lifestyle. Oh, I'm fired up because I got saved and discipled. 
You guys know Romans 12.1. I'm not even going to quote it. Right? You know what to do. We know what to do, but will we do it? And I've got to finish this up. So worship, man, it is personal. It's directional. Why? It's taking you to a place of sacrifice, faith, obedience, and atonement. But it's also powerful. And I want to finish you up in Acts. Go to Acts 16 with me. Again, another familiar passage. And we'll be done. You're like, finally. Well, that's why you got to check me out before you invite me, brother. <laughs> Acts chapter 16, verse 25. You know the story. So let me give you the, the, the thumbnail version. Paul sees a vision, goes to Macedonia, goes to Philippi, chief city of Macedonia. Not a lot going on there. Prayer meeting down by the river. Meets a lady named Lydia, begins to minister there. Great time. He's running around, interestingly enough, and someone starts to worship him. In Acts 16, um, verse 16, look at this. It says, And while Paul waited... There at Athens, his spirit was stirred within him. I'm in chapter 17. <laughs> chapter 16. And it came to pass, as they... I, I don't know what to say about that. All right, got to have a drink of water now. So look at verse 16 of chapter 16. So as it came to pass, as they went... <clears throat> To prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Doesn't that sound like a good message? It is. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And everything from there was awesome for Paul. <laughs> I mean, the ministry was smooth as glass. Is that not how it goes? Oh, no, that's, that's right. That's right. No, no. As soon as Paul dealt with the issue and said, wait a minute. This, I perceive that this is a spirit of divination. This is a lot of laud and honor and praise upon who? Us. Oh yeah, we're bringing in the, the Most High God, but he, he's like, wait a minute. This stinks. I smell Lucifer in the house. That old serpent, man, he stinks, man. I smell him in this thing. Get on out of here. And now my ministry is going to be smooth as glass. Oh, no. Didn't I start the message? There's a war for worship. And the devil likes to get in the business. It's no accident when you start to disciple somebody and you start getting into it. What The, the devil's going to get into that business. They're going to get a boyfriend, a girlfriend. They're going to have a wreck. They're going to lose their job. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen to you, too. If you stay faithful. I'm not trying to... Is this an encouraging message? I don't know. <laughs> I should rethink this. So, 
So at midnight, you guys understand what happened. Verses 19 through 20, they, they, he gets beaten. They turn him over to the magistrates. They're whipping on these guys. They throw him into jail, fast in the stocks. You guys know the story. Oh, but look what happens. At midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, this doesn't say worship, but you know what was going on in there? They was having some worship time. Why? Because ministry was smooth. Everything was going well. I mean, we can praise the Lord. It's all good. 300 came to church today. No. There's nothing that went well. And yet they're still praising the Lord. Hang on to this message. I know, it's t- I know I'm getting long, but you've got to hang on to the end because I've got something to say about that, but just hang on. So at midnight, the darkest moment of the story, while their feet have been held fast in the stocks, they worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, their bodies hurt. Yeah, their schedule was interrupted. Yeah, they were tired and cold. But you know what they did? Oh... They made focus, or they made focus. They made the focus conference. They made they, they made a point to focus their lives in worship. They made worship the focus of their life. That's what they did. Worship has the power to change our focus. In verses twenty three through twenty five, it did not look good. The worshippers, <clears throat> the, the worship has power to change our focus. Worship changes our focus and moves us and our disciples from victims to vis- to victors. That's why I need glasses. I was about to say visitors. (laughs) Paul and Silas, they don't allow their circumstances to impact their worship. So, disciples, there are times your boss is going to be hard on you. Life will not be fair. Your dog's going to bite you on your way out the door, right? And everything's going to bug you, and you're going to be tempted through circumstances to get off mission. But you have to stay on mission. Because guess what? It's not about you. I doubt many of us have had a day quite as tough as Paul's day. That day when he was thrown in the stocks there at Philippi. But you know what he did? He stayed focused on the mission. And that is exactly what Jesus did as he went to the cross. Nothing stopped him from worshiping the Father. Is there anything that will stop you from worshiping God? Oh, you'll be challenged. The further you go down the road, it isn't just once. There's times. You don't feel like worshiping. Do it anyway. Because there's something coming. There's something coming. I promise you, Paul and Silas could have focused on the wounds of their their backs. Oh, I'm hurting. Oh, I'm hurting too. Their bruises. Oh man, I got you. He thrust us into prison. Well, that's so and so. When I get out of here, no, that's not that's not of the spirit. They could have focused on all kinds of things, but they didn't. They could have said, man, these stocks are tight. They're fast. They're tight on my ankles, man. I'm going to have cankles. What's the problem here? (laughs) So here's a lesson. Instead of whining, let's worship. Instead of whining, let's worship. Now, for all my brothers out here that have recently listened to me whine, forgive me. Let's worship. Let's be glad. Let's be thankful. If we can endure anything for Christ's sake, hallelujah! It's a light affliction. 
we will reproduce what we are. You know, in our church, our worship leader, awesome leader, man, this guy can, he can play a guitar, you know, he's awesome. Well, God's called him somewhere else, and you know who God has selected to be our worship leader? A guy who has suffered all year long. His wife was in the hospital, almost died. And as I was preparing this message, I'm like, now, God, I see why you put this guy in charge of worship. He knows what it's about. We'll reproduce what we are. We need to not be whining, right? We need to be worshiping because we don't want to reproduce whiners. We want to reproduce worshipers. We're victors, not victims. So worship has the power to alter our environment. You know what happened, right? They start to sing and they start to pray and boom, things start rocking. You know, Uzziah, that's what happened in the, uh, in the year Uzziah died. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 6, 4, gets caught up into the third heaven there and he has a vision and he sees the house filled with smoke. Right And everything, the, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. He gets to the third heaven, he sees a worship service going on and the thing is trembling. God starts moving. Worship alters our environment. In Acts 16, 26, Paul and Silas offered up the sacrifice of praise. The calves of their lips, man. They, they offer those up to God and there's a jailhouse rock. You want to see doors open and bands, bands loosed? When Jesus said, it is finished, what happened? That's right, the earth shook. Yeah. Veil the temple rent. God is still in the business of opening doors and losing bands as we focus in worship. And lastly, worship has the power to deliver from death. You know the story. I don't have time to read it. I'm just going to tell it. You guys know it. Acts 16, 27 through 35. What's that, what's that jailer going to do? He's going to... Harry Carey. He's going to kill himself. He's going to kill himself. And Paul says, you deserve it. No. Paul says, stop! Stop! We're here, man. We're here. And he delivers them. For some, the result of worship may feel like your life is ending. Maybe tonight you've slipped into these meetings and you've missed the whole point of worship your whole life and you've been worshiping your job, you've been worshiping like the Philippian jailer, man. He thought if it went wrong at work, he was dead, man. And in reality, he was. But for Jesus, but for Paul, but for the worshipers of God. Maybe tonight God's brought you here because he's really just letting you know you've been worshiping the wrong thing. And you're not going to be very useful in helping other people learn what worship's about unless you begin worshiping right. Oh, not the thing, the person. And so what happened? The jailer has a physical sword. He's ready to kill himself. And the apostle Paul produces the spiritual sword. He says, hold up. So that's why we disciple. The first four lessons remind our disciples of the work of who? The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and how he fulfilled every picture of worship of the Father. Notice the night that the entire family was baptized. That night the entire family was baptized. Why? Because a couple of Christians chose to worship instead of wine. They observed lesson three of discipleship right, right there. Ordinance number one, let's get baptized. And the whole house followed. What do you think they did in Acts 16, 34 through 35? 
when they stayed up all night. Look at the text there. It says, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant, saying, Let these men go. What were they doing in the house all night long? They were studying the Bible. He was discipling. Discipling. That's what we do as disciples. We endure hardness as good soldiers so that the lambs can experience the blessing of worship. So worship is personal. Worship's directional. Worship is practical. <clears throat> or powerful, I'm sorry. And it is practical. But it's actually part of multiplication. And I didn't get to that in this story, did I? It was interesting about this whole situation in Philippi. You know, we're here to make disciples and multiply Acts 2 uh, or Acts chapter 6. We understand all of that. But you know, when Paul went to Philippi, there were no men. But he saw a man waving, come to Macedonia. I don't know. It could it be that this man in Macedonia, as he was getting thrust into the prison and getting fast in the stocks, that might have been the picture. That might have been the image that he saw. I don't know. I don't know. I'll know when I get to heaven. I'm going to ask Paul about that. But you know what I do know? When I get to the book of Philippians, which is probably, oh, 12 years later maybe. We don't really know. I don't know exact dates. Paul writes that letter and he opens, up and he opens up and he says, Hey, to the bishops, plural, and deacons, plural. Discipleship happened because of worship. What started off as nothing, as far as I know, that's the first man to get saved in Philippi. But it wasn't the last. And beloved, listen to me. If our discipleship isn't producing souls in evangelism, something's wrong. Good discipleship should be good evangelism. It all goes together. It all goes together. From Acts 16, which was occurring somewhere in 49 AD to 61 AD when the, Philipp the book of Philippians was written, there was incredible growth in the church. And it all happened because worship is the focus of Paul and Silas. And it multiplied lives. So if worship is not the focus of our life, beloved, it won't be the focus of our disciples' life. Worship is personal. It's deeply personal and relational. Worship is directional. It takes us places that we wouldn't normally or naturally go. And worship is powerful. Focusing on God, on God bears fruit and multiplies. Amen? Amen. Heavenly